means so much to me that you're here today. But it also means I've met my tragic, but clearly untimely demise. So here you all are, at my best friend's funeral. But why? Let's bring this dude back to life. I wouldn't do that if I were you. We don't have a choice. You can't kill pure evil. How would you like to play a game? He's gonna kill us all! We need to do something! Sables are the lifeblood of the horror genre. We are the final girls. They don't kill us. Guys, I think she's dead. You couldn't have put bees inside of us. You didn't respect horror. But now, you will. We're so dead. Wonderful. Thanks for thanks for chatting about this. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to do it. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. How's your day going so far? I mean, I get to talk about this stupid, silly movie that we made with people all day. That's wonderful. That's such a luxury. So it's going great. What are you what have you been currently what are you currently up to? And has 2023 been a busy year for you so far? Uh yeah, yeah, it definitely has. I mean, we you know, so we released three movies end of last year. October was Old Man with Lucky McKee. November was Blood Relatives. And Noah Singh directed who his first uh, directorial effort was in the first Scare Package. We made that movie together. And then December, obviously, was Scare Package 2. January was Sorry About the Demon. And then we just premiered a film, The Artifice Girl, at South by Southwest. That's coming out now April 27th. And then we also, then we just promoted the Overlook Film Festival, the tr uh, trim season that will come out later this year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I've got a, I've got something else, something big I'm working on that, um, you know, we'll see, but looks good. And I've been, I've been doing a lot of writing and uh, you know, we're just, just making the most and living. I mean, just, I'm living my dream. I mean, honestly, so uh, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. That's all we ever want to hear, that you are that busy. I mean, it's ultimately the most pleasurable thing to hear that you are being kept that busy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, we're definitely, I mean, we've made, you know, since Scare Package 1, I think we've made another 10 or so movies, mm. you know, so so it's been, it's definitely been a lot. But at the same, I mean, there was part of me, there was a little period where I was like, okay, it's kind of like in junior high, I remember walking in the lunchroom and it was like, okay, and and one day I got to sit at like kind of a cool lunch table. And and I feel like in the film industry, I finally got to sit at the cool table. And now I'm like, I better just keep making movies before they kick me out. They realize I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not, I don't get to sit here, you know, and, and, and some of that kind of goes on. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I think now we've gotten, we kept going and now we kind of have our own table. And that's been really, really cool. And I get to bring other people into that table and say, no, you're worthy to sit here too. And we're all doing this together. And it's just been kind of a wonderful experience. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, in the last, I don't know, maybe the last five to 10 years, maybe even as far back as a decade. Yeah, horror has become a bit cooler. You know, it's a little bit more <laughs> mainstream. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think it's always been cool. Like, I mean, but there is, but there is like a, I think finally it's kind of breaking through in some, some regards. But, uh, but I think part of that is just because I think, I think folks are starting to dissect it more. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think there was, there was this, this group of people that, that exists, which is honestly a big part of like what uh, Sam's character and a little bit of Ratchet's character in Scare Package Shoes about which there's some indignation of horror is not a B movie, you know, that, that they, they, people look down on the genre in some way, you know, elevated horror, you know, like what the hell does that mean? There's not elevated drama. There's not elevated comedy. It's because they're starting at a place where they think it needs to be elevated. And I think there's just a, there's a, a misappropriation of like what's here. And like that horror is a reflection of society. There's so many amazing things that are, have been said, you know, through horror films so especially from the 70s and the 80s and what's going on and and i think now you know people are starting to recognize that a little more it's taken a little too too long mm. but uh but i think it's always been there it's just not everybody was looking right, uh, and peeking around the curtain to realize like oh my god like that's what john carpenter was doing like that's what the thing the thing is not about this you know a dog that turns into an alien or whatever like it's about identity and it's about race relations it's about like crazy shit you know and 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 i think you know we have to start to there's there's good discussions that are coming out of that now finally uh really well put i mean i completely understand what you're saying um i'm always uh nervous about the rug being pulled out from under my under us so to speak to a certain degree um you know whether it be you have someone like jordan peele doing incredibly detailed and elevated horror if you want. Um, but in the same time, I remember the mid noughties and the uh, oversaturization of say found footage and things like that. And remember mm-hmm. how to push back on that. So I'm always kind of nervous about it. Yeah, I mean, look there, but I, I again, I think that happens in every genre though. Like this idea that, so like in the eighties it happened because they're like, oh, okay, Friday 13th, this is so successful. Halloween's so successful. We can just put a mask on someone and and put some cool key art and people will go see it and they could go straight to video. And yeah, there was a market for it. I understand that. But the same thing happens in dramas and comedies and action films and all this, but they don't necessarily have the negative moniker that comes with this. I think anything that has success, there'll be those derivative forms of it that are going to pop out. And I'm not denying the derivative forms. I mean, hell, the scare package movies are poking fun at those derivative forms, right? So we're very much acknowledging what's there, but at the same time, we're also bear hugging them. You know, we're saying like, look, I love this, but like, it's silly. It's a little ridiculous in what's there. And and I think, you know, finding that balance is what's fun, but I, 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 I would contend this exists and not just in film, it's in anything, anything that's popular, there's going to be these copycats. They're going to try and follow in those footsteps to make money. And so, yeah, they're not going to recreate Blair Witch. Mm. Um, you know, they're not going to recreate The Exorcist. They're not going to recreate Friday the 13th. Um, even though Friday the 13th itself was kind of that, you know, to some degree. But um, Or maybe Halloween's a better example of that. But like, yeah, they're not going to do that. But there still was something really fun about what was happening in those eras and what we're doing. And I think now getting to comment on that, and those sequels that exist are the reason why the Ari Aster's and Robert Riggers, you know, Robert Eggers and the Jordan Peels are making the types of movies that they're making now. Right. And, and, and they'll be the first to tell you that, you know, so mm. uh, anyway, sorry on a rant there, but yeah. No, it's fantastic. Um, your knowledge uh, want to hear about that, particularly as a, 
well, a state for those that do not know that you, alongside an incredible team, the likes of Cameron Burns and so on, you're the creator of the anthology comedy horror Scare Package and Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge. Two of the finest anthologies, uh, modern anthologies I've ever seen. Anthologies can be incredibly mm. difficult to work with, you know, um, and Creepshow, for example, is still the bar setter. So to even get close to that is impressive in itself. So I want to ask you then, and we've got to go back to the earliest days of conception. And it's basically what your vision looked like when you first set on this path. Yeah, you know, well, in first of all, I completely agree. You know, I think I think Creepshow, I, I I love some of the early tales from the crypt as well. And what was there, but yeah, but the Creepshow just like it was like, oh my God, like what's happening? And they and they were working with the best filmmakers in the world that were coming together to do that. And 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 because of though of movies like Creepshow and even the reinvention of this. So, so in, when we started first talking about Scare Packers around 2016 or so, mm. and there had been this resurgence. You know, the VHS, VHS2 had come out. I love VHS2. I think what Gareth and Timo did, their segment, Safe Haven, is one of my favorite uh, short films of all time. Uh, you know, ABC's of Death was popular. There, 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 there was a little bit of like Southbound, I thought was a really great yeah. anthology. So these were popping up and I was like, guys, like, I don't want to compete with that, you know? And I knew the Creepshow TV series was coming too back with Shudder. And I was like, why are we trying to compete with this? Like, it doesn't make sense. And Cameron, to his credit, was the one who's like, no, I, I look, we know all these filmmakers. We know we have a structure. We have a way that we can finance it smartly and save save money. I, the, the dollars go on the screen is always our motto. We make our movies for less than everyone else. And people don't are, are shocked at how little we're able to make them for. And so finally there was like a weekend and I just watched, you know, I went back and and, and I I definitely have an extensive knowledge of these films, but I, I made kind of a little OCD and I made like a spreadsheet and started watching them. And I marked down the things that I really liked and where I thought there were opportunities. And I started to notice a trend where I loved the the whole, the, the comedy aspects of them. The, the, the funny segments always stood out for me. And I was like, oh, but then, but then there'd be like this really dark segment and started to kind of take me out. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm liking that. But then I also noticed that I would get sometimes a little frustrated. I was like, well, like we get like a segment would end, then you go to this wraparound. I'm like, I just get me to the next segment, you know? And I was like, okay, well, well, that's an opportunity then. Like, how do we mm -hmm. inverse this? Where maybe if a segment's frustrating you or, you know, haven't been, then you're like, I want to get back to this, you know? And, and, and what, what could be there? And then I really, I liked when I researched some of the older anthologies, they were breeding grounds, you know, for up and coming filmmakers. And I was like, let's, let's not necessarily hire the filmmaker that's like doing us a favor to do right. a segment. Let's hire the filmmaker who's like, this is my shot. Because when we're, I, I produce a lot of movies too. And, and, and in the producing side, uh, many times we like to hire, you know, they've never been a production designer, but they've been an art director. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to make you a production designer this time. So that way we're giving you those opportunities to really, to really shine. And I think it, we try to take that same motif when the hiring of the directors themselves to kind of work within, within this framework. And once I put that together, it was like all comedy, you know, let's really have a wraparound that is his own standalone story. Let's find a way to creatively go in and out of each of those. And then, and then I was like, then the through line was tropes. And the original title of Scare Package was tropes. And the idea was each segment subverts a different set of horror tropes. But then as I'm researching, it's like, well, there's no bigger horror trope than, well, one of the bigger horror tropes, not no bigger, but one of the bigger ones is the title of these things themselves. So I think of Silent Night, Deadly Night and Chopping Mall 
And I was like, well, then now let's let's do our own punny tropey title. And we landed on Scare Package. And, and then that got me excited. Like that together, I was like, I can see this now. It feels different than the other anthologies. It feels achievable. And also it's going to be a lot of fun to make. And it was, it has been, yeah. Did you even back then think or plan or prepare for ever doing a sequel? Was it part of the vision or was that, okay, this has gone so well, we can do it? Oh, not, not in the slightest, not in the slightest. Like it was a, it was a, we, this was all private money. There was no mm. shutter involved. There was no anyone involved. We just, I mean, I put a lot of my own cash in. We took a huge risk. It was, I, cause I hadn't seen anything like it. So there was no comp. You know, there wasn't like, you know, I could say it's like this, like this, it just, it, 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 there wasn't anything in that same world. And I was like, we're doing this different. So we, we really couldn't go to a company to get funding. We had to kind of just raise the money and, and come with the money ourselves. And so when it finally landed on Shutter, and then it, the last drive-in Joe Bob Briggs show and all this happened and we played a bunch of festivals, we were like, oh, whoa, wait a second. Like, this is catching on, you know? And then Halloween, people are dressed as Rad Chad. And, you know, there's devils like Impaler Mask that people are making. And there's tattoos. And I'm like, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so we've touched on something here. And then Shudder, you know, came back and was like, hey, like, it's a hit. Um, it's been streamed so many times. We didn't know the numbers, but it was one of the, the most streamed films at that time mm. in the summer. And they were like, let's like, we want to do something with this. And and Cameron and I are like, oh shit, but we killed everybody. Like, what are we going to do? You know? So we had no intentions of this. We just, but we had so much fun. There were a lot of filmmakers that we wanted to work with that we didn't get to in the first film. And then it was, uh, and I was like, how do we challenge ourselves to do this differently? And, and, but there was no, there was no intention going in to do that whatsoever. Yes, I find that part fascinating. Challenge yourself to do something different, differently. Now, I want to talk about that in a minute. But before then, I've got to go specifically to the first film, the first Scare Package, and basically mm -hmm. the biggest challenge you faced with making that film a reality in the end. What was it and what did you do to overcome it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think so much of it was the logistics of how to... like. It, 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 people sometimes think an anthology is okay let's just make seven short films individually and then put them together and because we had intertwined this so specifically it was really hard to to get this because it, and it, there was a tone that we were trying to go for and and comedy is it's not the same you know what i find funny and what else finds funny are, are different and we wanted to play with different tones. Like, and I, I I honestly probably had too many rules. Like one of my rules was they they every segment had to be a different length. So because there was there was a couple of times with anthology, we'd be like, well, they all end at the 10 minute mark. So right. I know this is gonna end. And so I wanted we wanted to always be subverting expectations, but some of that got a little too formulaic in, in, in how we were trying to like, you know, square peg round hole, I felt in some aspects. And then you know, we we decided to have the same colorists, you know, the same visual texture. We decided to have the same, you know, sound designer, same composer. And while that was really smart in that it adds cohesion, it's very difficult to go through the lot. So it's like when you're making a film, you have to you have these things called deliverables, right? You're creating all these legal assets that have to go with each piece. So you have to like do that and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again. 
It's not like it all comes together. You do it once. And then when all those are together, then you edit it into the main thing. And then you do the whole thing one more time. And it was like a lot. It was definitely a lot. And, and, and just managing, you know, these are people who aren't, we're not being paid, you know, no directors are being paid money to make mm. these, right? We're all just kind of doing this ourselves. Like I've never, I, I've all I've done is put my own money into these movies. Yeah. Never made it done. You know, it's, it's, um, we have investors who have, who have made money, but like, it's not, you know, we're, we're just here to try and make something and, and get it out into the world. So it's hard when, you know, everybody's kind of giving up their time, you know, you got to find that balance of like, is this really fitting the way you want? And how do you kind of pull this along? And you're making certain edits and cuts. Um, we even had one segment in the first movie that got completely cut and didn't oh, make really? the film at all. And, and they'd also, they go too long. I will say, I think the first movie is a little too long. Um, you know, so you're trying to like find that balance. So that was that the logistics of it were just very difficult. So going into the second one, we were able to kind of regroup. We had the directors had more knowledge of what each other was doing. We had a more clear kind of deliverable schedule and cohesion with that. And Alex Uding, who's one of our producers and is the main editor of the film, just was so integral and in like him running that process for us as like the post supervisor as well and 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 he's he's the unsung hero i think in scare package for like how he's able to coordinate everything and help put that together as we're kind of making those decisions so um it was definitely that that was just because it's tough enough to make the movie you mm -hmm. know but it's like it's just getting all those schedules together and and we got very busy as a company i got very busy as well you know, as, as a producer and director. So it was just, uh, it was kind of a nightmare. Yeah. But then you so say that you enter, you start work on Rad Chad's Revenge. We're doing the second one. And um, you know, you have to do follow a certain sequel rule, which is it's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. It's got to be better. The three B's mantra, um, Boulder. Um, so that's a totally different challenge. So yeah. what was the biggest one for that? I mean, I think for us, it was how do we, okay, so we felt like we surprised people mm -hmm. with the first scare package. So it's like, what are they expecting us to do? And then how do we subvert that? So to me, the easy answer was go back to the video store and have Ratchet put in tapes forever. And we can put a tape in, we can play a segment and boom, we could just make these movies forever. Yeah, and so, so, yeah. And I was like, so because that was the easy idea, that meant it was thrown out. You know, that's one of our rules. It's like, nope, you can't do it. You know, we got to challenge ourselves to do something different. So I was like, let's let's talk about a different era of horror. I thought the 90s and 2000s period was very interesting where there were new things that were being tried. There were things that were failing. There were things that were working. There were some found footage aspects. There was like the torture porn kind of side of things. There was, uh, you know, the Japan J-horror was really mm -hmm. kind of like becoming something. So, so there were some fun things to kind of talk about. And, and so that became, you know, one of the new kind of North stars within that. And then I, I think the biggest thing was just realizing, I was like, okay, wait a second. Well, we killed all these characters. Like, how do they come back or what are we going to do? And I was like, it's the horror sequel. Like that's of all the, we're talking about tropes. There's no bigger trope than that, than the absurdity, mm -hmm. than that Jamie Lee Curtis can cut off Michael Myers' head and H2O. And we could just be like, never mind. It was the ambulance driver right yeah. because we want the we want the franchise to continue so let's lean into that aspect of it because it's what happened it's exactly the meta is true we made this to be a standalone film it was a hit 
Now we need to make a sequel, which is exactly what happened in the 80s and the 90s of these horror films. So rather than trying to like perfect it, let's lean into it. And I remember that summer when I was writing the, the main story, I was watching a lot of the Saw movies, shockingly, uh, and, and getting preparation for Spiral because I was excited to see the oh, new, yeah, the new Saw film with Chris Rock. So as I'm watching that and I, I realized I, I I must have like blacked out or something. I, I, there were Saw 4 through 7 don't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know like carrie elways shows up at one point and you're like how is he here and then like they do a flashback of a scene and it'd be like the two of us talking then the flashback of the next movie there's actually three of us talking mm-hmm. and then the flashback of the fourth movie there's someone behind you know your backdrop there and it's like every time they would add something so you could just retcon what you thought you saw and i was like guys that's a really <laughs> fun idea that if everything you saw in the first scare package, what if we said, that's not what it was? And I was like, that's a really interesting kind of like through line. And then, you know, that also meant that we're, you know, we were doing the, we had the funeral idea that, that we were going to kind of play off of and coming off of Ratchet's funeral, but it was now I get to create really, really dumb saw traps. And I was like, okay, this is too much fun. Like, I can't, I can't turn, can't turn this back. So, so we had that framework, which that started to really excite me. And it made a lot of sense. Saw was such a pivotal film. I mean, it's still, the franchise is still going to this day. So it was really seminal in that era, but it was like, well, how do we create our villain? And talking back about the horror stuff, I was like, well, if people are demonizing horror and you have Sam who kind of ended up being a little more evil than I ever intended him to be in the first care package, because he's just so funny in the way he would peek around the corners and the way he would yeah. do this. And I was like, why don't we just lean into this? And that Sam never got hired at the video store. He's now pissed off. And he's even more upset that people are not respecting horror. That it's like, you talk down about horror. Horror is great. And if you, and this idea, this kind of concept that we had was, like, if you don't respect horror, then we're going to bring the horror to you, you know? Like, we're going to put you in a horror movie, and now you have to respect it because it's going to scare you in real life, you know? So mm-hmm. that was kind of the thing. And I was like, that's that's so stupid, but also kind of clever in its own way that I thought was really, if we can call ourselves clever, I thought it was just like a funny angle to get in and sam played by byron brown as a character was just like that perfect vehicle i felt like to like wheel out there you know and and have this like indignation about all this and it became it, it just it just it started to write itself really fast after that well it's funny really because as you say quite villainous in the second film um even to an extent in the first to a degree but uh also quite relatable for anybody that maybe obsesses over horror almost like an internet fan to a certain degree where screaming and shouting down anybody that's got a different opinion about certain things that's i think is where you get that comedic comedy from to take them away from being overtly horror villain Oh, 100%. I mean, there is definitely a commentary about fandom gone awry, you know, and that's that's part of what that is. And because that frustrates me on Twitter, you know, I think fandom goes too far. And one of the things that we talk about, there's a moment later in the film where Kimmy, played by Shakira Jnepay, who's who's wonderful, she has a line where she's like, hey, there's no gatekeeping here. Because, and I wrote that because I'm like, there were some people, I remember after the first scare package, I went to a couple of festivals and we were talking, there was like a Q&A, and I can't remember where it was, but um, we went all over the world with that movie. 
And someone was like, you know, they said, oh, hey, this is a reference to this. And then someone talked over like, no, that's a reference to that. And Uh they're like, what? And then they started arguing. And I was like, hey, 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 like, this is not the time to be looking down on them for not getting the reference. This is your opportunity to evangelize what that reference is, right? So I see a critter behind you, right? And and Critters is one of my favorite films. I love Critters too. I love what Mick Harris did there and everything too, especially. I think it's just so much fun. But like, if I had a scene where there's a ball of people rolling down the, the hill and they're coming through and somebody's like, oh, this is a Critters reference. Like my hope is they'd be like, wait, what? How does that happen? And that, then somebody would go and watch critters too because that's what it is so so our mo- our little kind of like side motto end up being like it's gateway not gatekeeping right and, and that was a big part of it yeah absolutely um it's related to critters but a bit off the wall but i watched you know i, I will watch a show called american dad if you know that show the animated I show american is, yeah. dad so scott grimes who plays uh main character in critters one the two voices of character now and i remember saying to my wife and we'll go back many years and saying to her oh my god that's scott grimes he played back bradley brown in critters one and two my wife had never seen critters i'm like okay we're gonna watch them so you can see it you know shit loving the movies it's just a gateway thing 100 percent. so when someone's sitting there and you see you know graham skipper gets skinned you know, and it's there and it's like, oh, that's, that's like a Hellraiser reference. It's like, whoa, he's wearing a suit. That's kind of funny. And it's like, well, actually that suit is a reference to the suit that they wear in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. And they're like, really? It's like, yeah, there's actually a person's skin, like drinking wine and stuff in that movie. And then that person's like, oh, I want to see that. Now they're watching Hellbound. And now I, who grew up in a video store, I worked at a video store I, and I used to push these movies under people. Now I've created a movie that allows me to still push movies on other people. So when you're done watching Scare Package, hopefully you're going out and you're you're watching these other horror movies at the same time. I almost uh, feel like you could do a version where you almost have a counter in the bottom left-hand corner for a reference with the name of the title so people could then list what they need to go and watch. Well, it's very apropos of you saying that, Carl, because so in the Blu-ray, which is what we're talking about coming out April yep. 11th, in the Blu-ray, I created that. So not just a counter, it's, it's basically there was a there was a show back in the day called v, on VH1 called Pop Up Video, and you'd mm. watch a music video and it would pop up and tell you all these little interesting tidbits. So we did a horror version of that, and every time there's a there's a reference, and maybe it's a, a regular film reference, like we have Drive and all kinds of random stuff in this movie. But whenever there's a reference, it pops up on screen and it tells you what the reference is. So you can on the Blu-ray, you can rewatch Scare Package, and you will find there are so many more references than people even know. And it just kind of became a fun way to say like, look, this is actually this, and this is actually this. And I think it'll make it even more fun to kind of explore. So for to exactly to your point, we have created it. It's on the Blu-ray and it's even one step further. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, did you always have, so we, we've talked a lot about horror here, but we really must stress this is comedy horror as well. And it is a very, I keep laughing as we're talking here because I keep getting memories of many of the scenes. You talk about Graham Skipper being skinned and I love Graham Skipper. So when he appeared in the movie and then that happened to him, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. But ultimately a lot of that comedy is based, or at least uh, held together to begin with by Jeremy King and Byron Brown. We would have mentioned Byron Brown. We've got to mention Jeremy King as well. Did you always have them in mind to play Chad and Sam respectively? And what do they bring differently to your vision of the characters? So Jeremy is the one actor who's been in every single thing I've ever, ever directed. Right. And we bring him in other movies too that we produce as well. So he's just someone 
he kind of helped the the character of Radshad. We made a short film. It's not very good, uh, but it's called The El Chupug Cabra. And it's about and the L, it's, it's deliberately dumb. But Jeremy mm-hmm. plays a, a dad who his son adopts a pug and the pug turns into a chupacabra. And we call it Chupug Cabra. <laughs> and he wore a bolo tie. And and we were, and we, he, he, it was just a thing. And he said his last name was Buckley. And we said that. So then in Camera Obscura, my first feature, I wrote a part where there was this thing called Tad's Hardware and he was Tad Buckley. And so we kind of kept that kept that going and he wore a bolo tie. So then when I thought of the bolo tie and what was there, and then I was thinking of a horror expert, I was like, well, there's a, there's a very famous bolo tie horror expert that I could put in this movie. So we kind of reverse engineered it. And I was like, why don't we lean into him becoming this like Joe Bob Briggs, like iconic clone and what's there. And that started from, again, Jeremy picking the bolo tie, you know, and what was there. So that character was written 100% with him in mind. It just made sense. He fit the motif for me. Like I, I know his style of comedy so well. We've been friends for so many years yeah. that I can just write for him, you know, pretty instinctively. Now, Sam was a little different. We actually, there was a couple people in Austin that are part of this, um, in Austin, Texas, where I'm mainly based out of. It, it, there's a, a good improv group of actors that are just really, really funny. And I've known Byron Brown for a while in that group. And I couldn't, I couldn't decide, you know, there was a couple different people we were looking at. And then when I met Byron and then he started to kind of do his, his riff, I was like, this is it. Like, this is really <laughs> it. So I didn't write it necessarily for him. I knew it would probably be someone in that group of comedians. And I wanted one of those comedians to be in it. But, but then Byron just took it to my level. And then once I saw him on set and he was doing things, we just kept adding scenes for him because he was a smaller part at the beginning and then obviously became bigger in the in the sequel and then if i am so lucky and and find folks like yourself keep talking about this maybe i get to do a third one and he's an even bigger part of that so we should say i mean they are incredible in the roles they are um but sticking with the sequel the cast overall is incredible i mean i can't list every name but the likes of zoe graham rich sommer kelly maroney bruce davis maria olsen dustin rhodes Graham Skip, we've already mentioned, and so many more. You assembled an incredible cast of this film, but more importantly, people that clearly were very game and up for your vision. Did you get any um, pushback for some of your ideas, such as folks potentially saying, listen, Aaron, this is a bit too silly, or I don't really know what to do with this, and so on? I think, I mean, in the first care package, there were some people who were like, wait, what's happening right now? <laughs> like, what am I doing? Um, but no, I mean, I think once you saw the first care package, they knew what they were in for at this point, especially with the sequel. And I mean, even someone like Rich Summer, you know, who's in Mad Men, he's in the upcoming White House Plumbers, you know, real thespian, like, you know, mm. accomplished actor. And and he's messaging me after watching the first care package, like, I love this movie. This is so much fun. And I was like, I will write a part for you, Rich Summer, and I will put you in this movie. And uh, so I did, you know, and 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 created these things off of that. And and so no, I, I mean, everyone just got it. It, it. We had such a wonderful time. You know, I mean, I'm I'm having Kelly Maroney, iconic Kelly Maroney, vomiting acid on my friend Jen Raider, 
you know, who's in Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Scorsese film. And, and it's like, and I'm turning into like a pile of mush and everybody's just clapping and laughing and just like celebrating after we pull off this huge vomit fest thing that we're mm. doing. And it's just, it just invigorates everyone. It gets everyone excited. And we try to, you know, Ashley Steed, one of my producing partners, she used to be a camp counselor. And we talk about how we just want this to feel like you're going to summer camp. And there just might be some blood and stuff that you're throwing around and everything in the in the process. We want it to really be a fun set. And it was hot. I mean, it was it was super hot, 100 degrees, you know, in Oklahoma City in the summer. But when you when you have good people and you got a good crew, we had such a wonderful, wonderful crew. It, it all starts to kind of melt away, literally and figuratively, and you just start having fun <laughs> with it. Everyone's going to have... Uh their own sort of history with certain actors and so on to a certain degree. There were some I recognised quite significantly with others I was less sure about. It's all about learning and then discovering what they're doing. As we keep going back to, uh, I'm going to mention one more time, Graham Skipper. It was weird. Just before I watched Scare Package 2, I had, a week before, I think I'd seen a movie called The Leech he had done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was obviously tonally completely different. So it was fascinating to then see him appear in Scare Package 2 in a totally different role. But another one that's mentioned briefly there, Dustin Rhodes, I mean, an iconic wrestler. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I knew that we were going to have this big, I wanted this big, iconic, Voorhees-esque, you know, masked killer. But I wanted to see the eyes. And I needed someone who, so a lot of times with the killers, people will cast like an afterthought, you know? Mm. And it's like, if you look at like what Kane Hodder is doing, like if he th- there's there's so much movement there's little head turns until there's just things that they do that i think is just really really special yeah so i started thinking about like well first off who's a huge human that knows how to use their body in a good way and then can evoke emotion from far so like wrestlers like wrestlers do this you they're they're having they're playing to a crowd they're yeah. playing in front of a crowd every night they have to have charisma they have to kind of know there's like a dance and how they do it so so and dustin in particular has these really really bright blue eyes that kind of like cut through and eyes are a big thing to me i'm always doing close-ups of eyes uh we just reached a, a, a poster for a movie i produced and it's an eye on the poster for artifice girl it's just something that we're always doing so so dustin was i had a list of people that were we thought were possible he lived in texas um, I knew someone that knew him. I reached out to his agent and I was like, this is the guy because he just, Dustin is such a kind person and he has a very kind face. And I thought that was important too, that when you see him with a mask off and now you don't really see it in scare package two, mm. but in scare package one, we had that flashback where he's like the big brother program and everything. And I was like, I want to see that kind face, you know, and he's animated. Like there's a great moment where he's like pushing the swing and the swing comes out and he's like, you know, and he does this thing and like that animation, that kind of slightly over the top at times thing that wrestlers can do. That's what I wanted. And he could evoke that, but he, you know, his walk and movements and the way he lurks, I think it's just spot on. It's a very, again, it feels like that iconic kind of Kane Hodder style that I love so much. And like Friday 30 part seven in particular, I think he did a really great job with that one. And like, you know, how those work. So that was, that was part of it. And I just feel so lucky that that Dustin was willing to to you know get down and dirty with us and yeah. he's had you know and he came back for the sequel we made this really iconic I mean this that's him actually right above there there's a picture of Dustin of course. yeah in the hallway 
which I just thought looked so cool. And, you know, he had such a blast. And uh, I will say that uh, if we are lucky enough to make a third one, I have a even bigger Dustin piece of this that I want to play with. Cause I just, he's, he's actually a, a fantastic actor. Like I didn't know how good Dustin would be. So I didn't write a lot of lines for him. And then like, once we kind of got into it, I was like, Oh my God, this guy can do more, mm. but I kind of like the voiceless massless kind of thing. So masked thing. So we played into it, but he has the chops like that guy, that guy's gonna, I think, you know, he decides to go all in acting. I think he's going to make it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's a fantastic dude. It's amazing. Um, this might be a little bit difficult because, as we said, Scare Package, uh, both of them, are a little different when it comes to anthologies. As you say, it's not just put the tape and watch a short and then move to the next one. But across the two films, do you have a particular segment that is your personal favourite? I've been asked this a couple of times, and I, mm. I feel like I should just change it each time. Yeah, that's because I, do, I don't because I don't I don't I, I I'm so proud of what each of these filmmakers have done. You know, I think it's a it's a really, really beautiful thing. I mean, I will say, you know, in Scare Package 2, uh, you know, uh, I, I'll cheat a little bit because Cameron and I wrote We're So Dead, but I think that which is the, the final segment with the kids in the basement, but I think Rachel elevated what was on the page, you know? Ooh. So so just that was a different experience where, you know, the others are written and directed by those, those filmmakers. This was one that we wrote and I kind of pictured and I was like, this could be really good. And then Rachel took it and just really made it special. So, you know, I can I can have a more direct correlation there. But I mean, you know, what Chris McEnroy did with the goo guy and the first one's so great. You know, Anthony Cousins, you know, I, I love that he came back again. Like, I just want to make yeah. all those movies. I want to make like 20 of them. I think they're so funny. I think he's John Carsco, his writer and him are just so clever um, and such a great dissection of the tropes. And, and I, I do often reference, you know, what Emily Higgins did in the cold open of the first scare package, I think was just the perfect way to kind of kick off what we're hoping is a franchise now, you know, because she, she nailed the tone. She understood it. In fact, so much so I didn't ask her to write a segment about a cold open. Mm. I just said, talk about horror tropes. And then she pitched me this cold open idea. And I was like, Ooh, this is really cool. We can make this our cold open actually. And then from there, you know, we were able to see what she did with uh, John Michael Simpson, who plays the Mike Myers character in that. And when I saw him and I saw what they were doing, I was like, oh, I'm going to rewrite the ending now and and do this and bring him back around. So that wasn't in, initially intended to be oh, that amazing. way. So that's credit to what Emily was able to do and kind of putting this together and how we were able to kind of flow that. So. You know, I, I mean, I just think, you know, welcome to the 90s, what Alex Bredo did. The new segment is just so good, you know, in Scare Package 2. They're all great. They're I mean, all great. They're choosing between between my babies. Um, yeah, I'm so proud you of just said it. Filmmakers. You just said it. That's it. The babies. Um, I wouldn't actually expect you to necessarily narrow it down to one as you haven't done now. Um, if you yeah. would ask me, I wouldn't want to do that either. I love that you brought up Cold Open, actually, because... Um, you know, my, my first experience of Scare Package 1 and 2 was in the same day and I was hung over with my wife. And we were like, we're just going to sit in bed and we're going to watch some films. Let's jump on Shudder. What haven't I seen? Okay, that cover, obviously the artwork stands yeah. out. Let's give that a go. And uh, after Cole Open, I remember telling my wife going, yeah, we're going to we're gonna love this one, I think. So it was oh, immediately confident of that. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and it, and it kicks right in. You know, that was the thing. Mm. It had to be, the Cold Open had to be the actual Cold Open. 
And then, and then for it to end and you're like, wait, what kind of movie is this? Yeah, I like that. It's disorienting. Yeah. You're like, what am I watching? Like, is mm-hmm. this, is, this is the movie or is this the anthology or no? Okay. No, that was a segment. Okay. So now I'm in the thing. And I just, I think again, it's, it's taking those expectations and just trying to pull the rug out and like get twist when you, you know, zig when you think we're going to zag. And that was a lot of fun to play with. And again, that's credit to these wonderful filmmakers I get to work with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we have already mentioned it, but we're going to talk about it a little bit more now. Of course, Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge, is about to get its full release on DVD and Blu-ray April 11th. Now, it's got a ton of features as well, uh, director's commentary as well. You've already mentioned, talked about the trope pointing out, which is an incredible feature. I can't wait for that. But I have to ask, considering uh, where we are in 2023, do you still consider DVD, Blu-ray an important format, especially when you do take into account how dominating streaming has become? A hundred percent. I mean, it was vital for us to have a physical media release because, I mean, this first off, this is a movie about that time. Right. So so I think it's just apropos to have that kind of fit in for what's there. But also, you know, when I grew up, I, there wasn't tape trading to watch like Terms of Endearment. You were mm. tape trading to watch Evil Dead 2, right? Mm. And Dead Alive, you know? And, and again, nothing wrong with Terms of Endearment, you know, whatever. <laughs> but like, but I just, this is the first thing that came to mind. But like, it wasn't those types of movies. It was these movies. And I think there's something about the the physical media aspect that kind of ties into, I think, the horror genre in a really special way. So we fought for it. We were like, nope, it's got to be in the deal. I want it. It's it's important. And then you just don't know. I mean, you have HBO Max right now who's just yeah. like, this this movie's gone. This thing's gone. And I there are movies right now, and I have friends that work at Vinegar Syndrome and TerraVision and, and Arrow that have never existed on you know outside of the physical media form there's movies that are still not on streaming they're not available and and having them having a blu-ray you know a vhs what's needed i think it just goes such a long way and then lastly the special features mm-hmm. right now like i mean the only thing i like on streaming is that on itunes sometimes apple will give me the special features if i use the apple app but if i don't use the apple app in actual apple tv I can rent and watch all these movies, but I can't watch the commentary. I can't look at the behind the scenes. I can't see the featurettes. There might be one thing that you could find, or maybe you're lucky you can find something that's on yeah. that's on YouTube. But this idea as a filmmaker, I love the craft. I love understanding how they made what they made. And I want to sit down, watch the movie, dissect the movie, understand their processes of this and that comes when you have that on physical media you know and you have all these special features and you get to get insights that you would not normally have and i think that's really special and important and and then that thing no one can take away like that's yours it's never going away you can pass it down you can you can you can lend it out and and it's and nothing's going to happen to it and i think that's really special did you push for it i did yeah yeah yeah, we made sure. We made sure that like this is going to happen. Now, now I will say Shutter was on board. They know that Scare Package won, and we did well in physical media before. Like a lot yeah. of people, you know, bought it because again, it, and we did a VHS version, which I'm hoping to do as well this time and stuff. So th- those things are fun, and so so they. I'm not saying they weren't on board. They were. They were on board with us, but uh, but there was no scenario where I was not going to have it happen. Like, we would have. <laughs> We would have done it ourselves if we had to, because I just I just think it's important, especially, especially with movies like this. 
tying into that though, what's the biggest challenge that you think you face in getting the scare package movies known outside of the US? It's been, I mean, it's been tricky because, you know, Shutter has grown a little, which has been yeah. helpful. So they're in the UK and in Australia. Yep. Um, they're coming soon in Spain. But uh, but it's, you know, Scare Package, because it's so different, it is hard for some international buyers in certain territories. They're like, what is this movie? Like, what's going on? Um, you know, because horror comedy, you know, people get scared at horror comedy and anthologies, you know, some, some you know, mm -hmm. some countries get scared at anthologies. So we definitely had some things stacked against us, uh, but it has, you know, I mean, I just went to Helsinki, showed the film to a sold out crowd and they were just, you know, they were all over the place with it. They were wonderful. I was in Belgium showing the film. I've been, I've been, you know, all over the world showing this movie and, and uh, I mean, our, our, the world premiere of Scare Package One was in Spain yeah. actually. And at Sitges. And we played at 1.30 in the morning. And I'm like, okay, nobody's going to be here. Who's going to see this movie? We have no idea if anyone's going to like it. And we just show up. And I'm like, let's just go. And we'll see the 10 people are in the theater. Line around the block, curve the oh. corner. It's completely sold out. We got a standing ovation. Oh. I get chills talking about it. And it was like, oh my God, we did something here. Like people really had fun, you know? And then they stayed and they watched more movies after our movie. Amazing. And I was like, you maniacs, you know? <laughs> and that's what I love because the horror community, the, the people who love horror, they'll find it. They'll seek it out and they'll find it. So it's been really great. I, I, I did a, a big interview in like a German magazine mm -hmm. and they, they, they profiled the film and everything there too. And we played it. So, so we've had, you know, not as much as I would want, you know, as maybe like some more traditional films that just go worldwide completely. Of course. But uh, but the place we have places we have hit Spain, Germany, you know, and, and especially like the UK, of course, um, Australia, and uh, you know, the, the, like as far as Scandinavia, you know, in that that area, um, have been really really special, really special. Considering all those territories, all those areas, have you wanted to? You, maybe not so much nowadays, but have you run into many censorship issues in regards to to the film? Um, you have, yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. There's a few places that we've had to do some cut downs. Okay, you know, so yeah, the gore. I mean, the nice thing is we've been able to get by some of the rating boards because so our gore, there's too much blood for sure for normal rating boards, but <laughs> because we're doing it so comically that has they have we're like guys this is very clearly yeah. like a joke right so so that's given us some some free reign but uh there were a couple things like there was when um in the first scare package where weirdly enough where we have this 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 guy uh, he plays brandon he's doing the flips and then the impaler catches him breaks his arm off and stabs him in the head i love that kill that <sighs> kill had to get cut down in i think germany okay um, so I think it was like the the breaking of the arm, the close up and the blood there. And so it was just like, it's like punched in a little, you can see something happens and then you see it hit his eyes and then he just falls. So you don't, so, I mean, I was like, okay, I guess whatever, yeah. like, you know, we'll do what we got to do. But uh, we've had a couple of times, you know, I've, other movies, we've had more problems because if it's serious in tone and then we love our gore, that's when it gets a little a little trickier but thankfully the comedy that we're like guys this is so silly you know what i mean like like we've been in a better shape yeah of course it changes to tell completely but here's the thing um anything that's ever 
cut, edited down, um, and it's known that's the case, people will still seek out and it will help spread word. I mean, look at the 80s in the UK and the video nasty scare and how sought after those movies became. Exactly, exactly. And again, that's why physical media works well. So those problems do not happen on the, there's Blu-rays that are, you know, in those territories. Those Blu-rays are fine. It's the streaming versions, you know, that are there. Um, the one that's always going to be weird that and, and we couldn't play was we can't play airlines, uh, so won't ever be on a plane uh, for a spare package. But some of our other movies will, so <laughs> and that's 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 totally fine. But yeah, I mean you're you're completely correct, and but that's more more the reason why I think physical media and and getting these goes such a long way. It does, it does, and uh, I am of a certain age where physical media, VHS, and all of that is still in my lifetime. Certainly, part of my youth. Um, and one of the things about Scare Package that too, as well, particularly that I uh, seeing the DVD and the Blu-ray cover is okay. Here, here we've got a cover. If you were walking down a video store and it was on the shelf, you would stop, and it would catch your eye. It might be the corner of your eye, and you'd go, "What the hell is that?" And you look at it again. And I've looked at that artwork quite a bit and i guess i want to know is how much input did you have there and i want to take a punch at some inspirations if there are any related to it i i yeah oh there's definitely inspirations go ahead yeah what are what are some what do you think so oh i'm leaning towards uh the 1985 comedy horror house and its sequel house 2 in 1987 and this might be a push one but the video dead okay so so well so first off house and house 2 yes House 2, the second story, I think is one of the most clever uh, <laughs> subtitles ever. Uh, you know, I think I think that's just so, I'm just like in awe of how great that is. But uh, so the video Z, that was one that Mark Schoenbach, who's my artist, he brought that up as well. So we did talk about that. But uh, but yeah, but actually, you know, I, I have no artistic talent right. <laughs> in that regard, <laughs> but it was my design. So the idea, the concept of it, which was I, you know, we had this, I wanted a hand that was grabbing a tape off of, you know, alpha video shelf and what's there, because exactly what you said. I mean, I grew up, I worked in video stores, right? So, so I, I loved just going and I would rent movies all the time, just because of the cover, I was like, Ooh, what is this? Yeah. And I would pick those up. That was a regular thing for me. So that cover had to be, had to fit, but how did we, the, when we first were designing the cover, it was like, how do we design this so that you know it's a comedy or that mm. it's meta? So that's when we did the cover within the cover within the cover. And that became, it's like, look, this is a movie commenting on those movies. And that once it, once we kind of figured that out, I was like, this, this is now like, if you really pay attention, there's something really, and then the tag, you know, the, uh, I think the first one was, uh, you know, seven, seven stories, seven, um, as, and zero working cell phones. Right. So it was, yeah, seven, seven horror stories, seven uh, tales of terror, or whatever, uh, and zero working cell phones. So it's like, oh, okay, you're. I see what you're saying here. You know, I see. Uh, I see what you're yeah. kind of going for. So that became like a fun thing to play with. And then for the sequel, you know, we're talking about there was the the calls from inside the movie, and I was like, okay, that's just because everybody says the calls is you know, coming from inside the house, and I was like, what are we again? This meta that the movie's aware of the movie, you know, and and it's just <laughs> so silly. Because yeah. you don't even need to know specifically where that quote might be from to un- not un- to understand that it's uh, it's a joke reference. Exactly, exactly, and that and then there's a playfulness to it. Yeah, but yeah, but look, Mark Schoenbach, Sadist Designs, he's our artist for the first and the second one. Absolutely slayed it. I mean, I think our artwork has been a huge part of our success. I think that Mark has 
he just he just got it. And I mean, I just had this idea of like this, you know, I and I said, I said the house hand. So that was definitely yeah. I picture like the house hand taking a tape, you know, <laughs> like let's play with this. And then he just brought it to life. And you know, we put all the segments on the spines, and I was like, this is perfect. They are they are my favorite posters. And now it's so fun to think about if we did a third, like how would you do that in a third? So they all work together. Um, oh, and then and then I love too for the sequel. And this was this was really Mark mm-hmm. who who pushed us. Where originally I was going to have it similar color palette wise to the first movie, and he's like, no, why don't we just go lean into this more '90s kind of style with like the neons and and all that? And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And and he we we kind of once we kind of landed onto that, I think it really that's when it it, it hit a sweet spot. Well, I mean, uh, the likes of uh, Stranger Things has made that stuff super, super popular as well. Um, the neon lighting and bright colors and brashness. Yeah, and we had that. I mean, like, even if you look at, again, like the Devil's Dream player behind me, we had that lighting, but it was still, you know, I pictured the poster a little different, but he he clicked into it. He was right. He's the artist uh, and he's he's uh, a legend for a reason. So, yeah, but it was it was really great. I'm very, very proud of that artwork. And, and they look, the posters look great next to each other, yeah. too. It looks so gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way I couldn't talk about it. It's so eye-catching. I absolutely love it. Right, we're coming to the end. And you've talked a couple of times. It's come up a couple of times, so I guess we won't dwell on this too long. But, of course, everyone wants to know what is next for Brad Chad. Now, it seems like it's, it has to be, you know. Um, I jokingly said to my wife after watching the second one, well, they won't do a third one. I'll have to do a fourth one and just skip the third <laughs> completely to stick with the theme. Um, you say you've got ideas. It's just let's wait and see, right? That's so funny. So, on a side note, I have another movie that I wanted to make that I was going to call Scare Package 3, and it's a werewolf film. And it was going to be Scare Package 3, and it was, um, uh, you know, the Year of the Wolf kind of thing. Um, or no, no, sorry. What What is uh, what is the, um, the, what is the, how, my mind's blank right now. I applaud. It's been all day. But uh, of um, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch, so yeah. It was Season of the Wolf is what we were going to call it. And then it has nothing to do with Scare Package 3. It's just like an entirely different movie. Different film. You know, that's all that it is. And then that way it kind of, it, you know, it plays into it. And then the next scare package will be scare package four, but we don't even acknowledge. So, which is exactly yeah. like Halloween did, you know? And I was like, that would be so much fun, but we'll see. It could be a little complicated for, for how that could work. But, mm. um, but yeah, look, I, again, we did not go into this intending to be making a number of scare package films, but we, we definitely now want to keep, keep the, uh, the train going and, you know, wonderful people like yourself keep talking about it. I think it's only going to up the opportunity that's there. And, uh, but I will say, I definitely have a quote unquote rad chat trilogy in mind that uh, I think will, again, not go the direction that I think folks will think, even with the ending, you can kind of like, huh, I see where this is going and it's still going to go a different direction from that. And I'm extremely excited about it. And I will say when I was, we were starting to write the second one, I knew where I wanted the third one to end. Uh, so it's all very in line with that in a, in a super fun way. Yeah. Well, folks could help uh, stream the hell out of them, uh, pick up these DVDs and Blu-rays so that um, everyone involved sees a ton of money come your way. And that will certainly help, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, definitely not coming my way, but it'll come Shutter and AMC's way. And that's fine because then I'll they... Do we'll fund the next movie and then we get to have our, our scare package trilogy. So, yeah. 
I got a last question for you then. This is actually uh, unrelated to scare packages. It's really, really just because um, I don't, when I will watch a film, I don't go out my way beforehand to start looking at IMDb credits and details about who's in it. Don't want to spoil it. People's other opinions might colour your own. I just want to watch it and then I'll frame it afterwards. So I didn't realise I'd accidentally, around the same time as Scare Pack- Package, watched another movie uh, by yourself that you directed called Pale Door, a Western <laughs> horror with some witchy elements. Don't want to break, uh, I don't want to ruin that for anyone. Go check it out. It is not what you think it is. And it's, uh, well, it's very, very interesting. And that kind of got me thinking about you. And I was thinking, okay, so I've seen Scare Package, I've seen Scare Package 2, I've now seen the Pell Door. This is all very different and very imaginative. And I thought, okay, right, what limits do you put on? This is the question. What limits do you put on your imagination, if any at all? I mean, I think, well, I will say, I think some, you know, restrictions can breed creativity. So I do think there's some aspects of that when it comes to, you know, budget and time and locations and things like that. So I will try and work within parameters that can make it like the producer hat on that can Mm -hmm. make the movie filmable. Right. So that is, that is, I would say that's the only Beyond that, I want to do things that are different. I mean, the movie, another movie I've just recently written, I have a, I have a sci-fi body horror thing that I've written. I have a sports horror comedy that I've written that's based on a roller derby team that goes to hell to fight in a roller derby tournament. Oh my God. And his, you know, and his people, I have, um, I have like a serial killer kind of true crime story. You know, um, we're talking about making a weird soap opera horror movie kind of thing. That's like that kind of style. Like I love mixing genres. I love finding opportunities to just say, okay, here's what's been done. How can we do this a little different? Uh, Cause like, you know, the pale door, I hadn't seen, a lot of horror westerns mm. and but but that was a movie too it's you know very different obviously very different scare package and it's tone. i mean that's that's really a movie that's about you know my brother and my father and you know we had a very um i, I would say interesting and, and at times very difficult uh life in some some respects um very privileged but at the same time definitely hit some some odd things there and and you know, so that was a way of kind of dealing with some of that and talking through that. And then I was like, well, nobody's going to make a movie about, you know, my brother and I dealing with our father. But uh, maybe if I throw in some witches and some cowboys and I got witches crawling the ceiling and stuff like, OK, now we're doing some cool shit. And, uh, you know, you can you can really do something fun there. So that and again, that's that's what I think the beauty of horror is, is you can tell this deeply personal story. But then I can go to the buyers and be like, it's it's cowboys and witches, you know, and they get excited. But yeah. it's really this this personal journey that I'm wanting to kind of get out and and talk about. You know, my brother watched that and he cried, and oh, wow. and it was like you know very very connective thing for us, and it meant a lot, you know. So it's uh, that's that's what's important. I mean, I think you watch movies to be an escape, right? Yeah, and yeah. And, and at least for me, right? I I, I want to watch something. I want to immerse myself in it. I'm not on my phone. I'm not like looking at other things. I really want to experience it. I like to throw myself into that world. And I think when that happens, it's a really beautiful thing. But if it's something you've seen before, mm. then it takes you out of that world. You're like, oh, I've, I've, I've seen this. But mm. if, you're, if you feel some imagination, if you feel like it's going in some different directions, uh, I think that's when it allows you to kind of go deeper 
into into that craziness and absurdity and then hopefully whatever you're dealing with in your life and whatever's happening you had that escape and for those 90 minutes two hours you're like okay like i that i didn't have to deal with like the shit of this world right now and i got to have some fun and i think that is really special and when i've had you know fans and folks who have watched our movies and they've said they've commented to that effect there's nothing that brings me greater joy than than to hear that that happens yeah that is that is genuinely incredible um that anybody can take such such a thing from a film particularly in this day and age when you're distracted by everything as you say your phone goes off you know you've got to check social media and so on that's simply incredible yeah no i it's it's a i feel so lucky and and i feel just it's like you know like it's like i said I, I'm, I'm doing what i love i'm living my dream and at the same time somehow there are people that i don't know someone in some city some country that i've never met and they're watching something and it's some stupid little joke that i texted cameron one afternoon <laughs> and now they're laughing about that and they're enjoying themselves that day and i got to bring that into their into their lives I'm, I get chills thinking about it. It's the best feeling in the world because that's what I was as a kid. And I still am, I still do it. I watch a movie and I I, I get so into it and I feel so connected with those with who made it. And it's like the idea that I can do that for someone else is what a luxury, what a luxury. I can't wait to see uh, what you do next and not even necessarily in the scare package world, just what you've described and what you've talked about. It looks like it's very, very exciting times. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, goodness. My pleasure. You know, these are small movies and we have to get everyone talking about them. So it means so much that you've taken your time not only to watch, but to then talk with me about it and spread the word on this. So thank you. I really appreciate that. And uh, yes, I will continue making things. I will still, I'm at that, that that lunch table and I'm hoping to keep doing it and I'll keep bringing people more in as I can as we keep moving forward. So Carl, thank you so much for your time. It means the world to me. Thank you very much for watching. If you liked what you saw, please help us out by giving us a thumbs up and hitting that subscribe button. If you really liked what you saw, consider donating to keep the website and channel running by buying us a coffee via our coffee page or picking up some merch from our big cartel store. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as via our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as listen to our interviews via SoundCloud, Apple Music, and Spotify. Just search for GBHBL. Games, horror, and heavy metal. What else is life for?